Um, so today we are um, continuing on, obviously, in our, our series through the New Testament, and we're in Matthew chapter 13. Um, we're going to finish up this chapter today with four whole verses. Yep, whole verses. We're going to cover all four of them. Um, shouldn't take more than a couple hours. Everything's going to be good. Um, so it's four short verses, and uh, I was going to skip this and move right into the next section because we're going to be dealing with this again down the road, but I thought this was actually a really good piece of scripture and something I've actually been thinking about quite a bit lately um, because of what, what is happening here with Jesus. And um, even though there's only four verses, there are two really powerful truths within these verses that I think we need to understand and we need to uh, kind of wrestle with a little bit. Um, the first is really simple, that if we're not careful, we can let our familiarity handicap us and handicap our ability to receive from the skill and blessing that God has placed in the people around us, even people younger than, and less experienced than you. Familiarity can breed a little bit of contempt, like, you know, you've known that little kid forever and that little kid will always be that little kid. Like, that, that, that causes us to not receive amazing things from the people that God has gifted around us. You know, God is, you know, it, this, is, this is interesting. God has gifted the generation before you. He's gifted your generation. And as much as you may not like it, he's gifted the next generation. The second thing we need to understand is that, it, that we do not have the power, excuse me, we do not have an effect on the power of God. Your life does not affect the power of God in one way, shape, or form. All your life can do, all you can do is decide whether or not you're open to the power of God or not. Can I say that correctly? You do not have the ability to affect the power of God. All you can do is decide whether or not you're open to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We'll get there. You'll, you'll understand what I mean a little bit more here in a minute. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump right into this. We're going to take this kind of verse by verse. The first point is sometimes we don't see the fruit because we don't like the tree. So in verse 54, it reads like this. When he, meaning Jesus, had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get the wisdom and these mighty works? That's, that's pretty, he's back to his hometown and everyone in his hometown is like, what happened to him? He was an idiot. This isn't the kid that I remember. He's so smart now. No, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches everyone, and everyone is amazed at his knowledge. Now, there's an interesting thing here that it wasn't uncommon for young men and, and lay people to, to, to teach in the synagogue. It was kind of a way of bringing people up. They would read passages and maybe make a couple of comments. It wasn't a terribly uncommon thing. But the idea that Jesus would have so just just blown their mind, lets you know that even if he had taught in the synagogue as a young man, he never really let it go. He never really cut loose and just told him. He kind of kept it simple, probably to keep his identity where it needed to be, secret until it was time for him to move into the ministry for which God has called him. But these people are just blown away. Like, they'd never, they'd never heard it from him, and they'd never heard it at all. This guy is amazing. Look at the mighty works that he does. Look at the, look at the, listen to the teaching. This is like authority. He was bringing the word of God in a way that was engaging, 
It piqued their interests, and believe me, I understand how difficult that can be. There's plenty of times where, as, as especially, so it can, it can seem really simple, like, oh, you're just preaching through the Bible. That's got to be easy as a pastor, right? No. Because you come to a section, you're going to look at it and think, what am I going to do with this? There's nothing there. And you realize, yes, there is. I've just got to go find it. So Jesus is engaging them, and it's piqued their interest. He gave the word authority that they had never, never heard before. And then we read, not just where did he get this wisdom, but these mighty works. Now, there's two, things, there's two ways of looking at this idea of the mighty works. Either it's, it's miracles that Jesus was, was, was working right then and there, right? Somewhere in that service, in that, in that, that, that time with them, he was doing ama- amazing things. Or it was the stories that came with him. Either We don't know. Either is possible. We do know because of the last verse in this section that Jesus did some miracles there. We just don't know what, what, what was going on. There's no details on it. So we can't really say, but either one works in this situation. So the, there's, no, 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 uh, there's no benefit in, in, in debating it. We just know that somewhere they were very impressed with what this man was bringing. This is pretty amazing. But there was a problem. And you think that was the opening verse where did he get this wisdom and these mighty works? And then it goes right to here. Starting in verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James? Joseph, not Jose's. Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Listen to this next part. So they were offended at him because Jesus, uh, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own, uh, his own country and his own house. It's a little bit of a jab there. When we hear a teacher or a preacher, evangelist, whatever, bringing something new or re- uh, just revealing something that you've never heard before, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is, this is, this is so insightful. This is so, this is, this, this, I mean, this has just touched my heart. This is just amazing. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to test what we hear? Of course we are. Of course we're supposed to test what we hear. But what are we testing? The people of the town immediately took issue with Jesus. Now, was the problem what Jesus was saying? No. Was the problem that the, that the miracles he brought were fake? Obviously fakes. I mean, this is just a snake oil salesman. This is ridiculous. No. There was no trouble with the word he brought or the actions that he brought. The problem was him. The problem was not the fruit, it was the tree. There are two parts that I think, two things that I think we can learn through this section, at least that I thought were interesting. The first one is that this was the test that the people of God had for truth or lie, good or bad. The litmus test was not what was being brought, but who was bringing it. 
That's how they were putting this together. How often does this happen today? How often do we hear these things just, just in the world that we live in? They're a good person, but they're from West Carthage. Can anything good come from Krogan? <laughs> do you know what school they went to? I mean, I'm sure, yeah, sure, they're not. That was probably, you know, that message was probably good, but they're Mennonite. They're Baptist. Nice person, but they're Catholic. Do you see what we do? We judge the fruit by the tree. It's supposed to be the other way around. Right? You notice when Jesus, Jesus didn't say, um, any tree that looks ugly will have all of its fruit plucked off and the fruit will be cast into the fire. That's not how that's worked. It's any tree that does not bear fruit because only a good tree can bear good fruit. So if the fruit is good, the tree is good, no matter how ugly that tree is. Me and Samantha used to have these little apple trees in our yard. Now, I don't know who planted them, but they were like two inches apart. If you're ever going to plant apple trees, bad idea. Bad idea. And so they, <laughs> they grew. At one point, they were about this big, and there were no branches on the bottom because our dog had eaten all of them off. It was just these little, little puffy branches at the top. And at some point, like this gigantic apple showed up. I have no idea what happened. It's like it just tried really hard. It was like, an apple popped out. It was just, it was so wild. And, and it, was, it was like not there one day and like there the next. We were outside. I was like, what is that? That is amazing. It's the ugliest tree in the county. I had this absolutely amazing apple. I ate the apple because eating makes me happy. That's the way it works. I like to be happy often. So, <laughs> But if I were just to look at that, like, oh, that apple can't be good. Look at the tree it came from. I mean, it's not even a tree. It's a stick with a leaf on top of it. I would have missed something amazing. But oftentimes, we judge a person based on who they are, not what they bring. Family history. Think about this. Over the last several years, well, actually, I, I, I want to I I move forward, but I want to I stop and answer a question that actually came up while I was putting this message together. Over the last several years, I've, I have warned you several times about various teachers and ministries. And I've been very plain. I've, I've named them. Groups like Bethel Church Reading, Bill Johnson, Todd White, the NAR, Chris, uh, Stephen Furtick. I've warned you about what these people are bringing. Am I doing what Jesus is telling us not to do? Am I wrong for doing what, we're, what I was doing? It's an honest question. At first I was like, Pfft. I'm like, uh, actually, no, that's a question that needs to be answered. And I'm not just saying this to kind of justify my own position, but the answer is no, because you need to understand the difference here. If you go back and listen to anything that we taught on those subjects, I never came at the man first. Never. It was always what they brought, the teachings that they brought, the practices that they brought. 
the issues were always substantive, not personal. Now, when you, when you see a teacher who is constantly mixing New Age teaching, pagan witchcraft, spiritualism, mysticism into Christianity, you know to stay away from that person. But it's not because they are not loved by God, but because they're bringing poison. The fruit of their life is ungodly, but their life may still be saved. God could still get a hold of them at some point in time, so you don't write them off, but you cannot eat the fruit of what they're bringing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So two very different perspectives. If it wasn't just like, you know, I've heard people say, yeah, I've heard Todd Wife, you've never, never seen these, these monster dreadlocks and stuff like that. Like, I can never mess, listen to someone with dreadlocks like that. Okay, if hair... <laughs> Do I need to even go any farther? Okay. What about height? You know, when I say reach for the sky, <laughs> I mean, am I just you know saying to jump for the low hanging fruit? I mean, what what are what are the 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 circumstances that we judge some someone by? It should be the fruit of what they bring. Period. Fruit is good. The individual is good. Whether you like the way they dress or not, right? Whether you like the music they listen to or not, doesn't matter. Judge the fruit, not the tree. Okay. Bible says you will know them by their fruit. Jesus is being evaluated based on their opinion of who he was, not what he brought. They were amazed at his teaching. They were completely just just blown away by the miracles that, that, that they either saw or heard about, whichever one it is, but they discounted it all because of who he was. Man, I'd love to think this is from God, but that's Joseph's kid. I mean, after all, he's a carpenter. And his son's just been wandering around the country trying to find himself, so obviously he's a vagabond. We're judging based on the wrong criteria. Now, the second thing that I think is interesting to learn from this is the level of their offense. The level of their fence. They weren't just cautiously curious. Like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to have to do a little investigating on this uh, on myself, uh, myself. They were offended by him. So they were offended at him. It wasn't just, eh, yeah, I don't know. I'll think about it. No, they were offended. Those words are direct and harsh. It was more along the lines of, who do you think you are? To talk to us like, what do you think, you're some kind of rabbi? Who are you? God. Well, (laughs) actually. They ignored him based on arbitrary ideas. Because of what they knew about him. Their familiarity bred contempt. I want you to think about how often we do this in our own lives today, consciously or unconsciously, and I I believe most of this is unconscious. Now, you think about this. I've been here at the church for about 18 years now. I've watched quite a few people, the people who have been here a lot longer than me, but I've watched quite a few people who were this big, who now have kids who were bigger than that. They grew up, they got married, they had kids.
are those kids still kids? The people I knew as kids, are they still kids? The people who are starting in some kind of ministry, are they still starting or is 20 years enough? You understand what I'm saying? At what point in time are they allowed to be experts? Are they allowed to be knowledgeable? Are they allowed to be gifted? Are they allowed to be who God has enabled them to be? And at what point in time will I respect that skill and even put it into service? Are you willing to recognize skill, understanding, and even wisdom in the younger generation? Are you willing to see that? And I'm not talking about silly things. I remember going over to my parents' house multiple times. I went over, I went over there one, uh, one time. It was, at, it was after Christmas. We were going we to do something. They had this gigantic TV. And I look up in the corner, and there's like this six-inch zero-four, the channel number, and like bright green numbers. And I was like, how do you like your TV? It was like a 3D television. And they're like, yeah, it's not bad, but I just wish this number thing would go away. Okay, so I grabbed their remote, never seen the TV before in my life, but I'm familiar enough with the, with, the, with, the, with the material. Took about 15 seconds to shut the thing off. Oh my gosh, how did you do that? It's, it's part of it. It's, fun. it's good, it's good, yep. That's not what I'm talking about. But will you let your children, let's say you have a business that's been passed down from generation to generation, at what point in time are your kids better at it than you? And are you willing, are you brave enough to recognize that? They'll never be better at this than I am. If they're not, you failed. (laughs) Because they should move past your understanding because they should have gotten the benefit of your understanding at an earlier age than you did. Make sense? Now, that does not mean you give them the keys to the bulldozer and just let them go. Okay? Although that would be a lot of fun. Right? If Carrie ever gave me the keys to a bulldozer, I would just drive it. I don't know how, but I would just keep moving stuff until it went. In a field, away from buildings. Don't put a lot of fuel in it because it would be funny, but set up a camera because I'm sure it will be really, really funny. I don't even know if I could reach the pedals. <laughs> now he's got an F. Hmm. <laughs> no. How often do we unintentionally keep people in a box because of whose kids they are, whose kids they are? Right? What their status is, either professionally or financially. What their political party is. They'd make a great person. They're a Democrat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or how about they'd make a good person, but they're a Republican. You know what the fundamental difference is in our political parties right now between Democrats and Republicans? The color of their logo. It's essentially it. Most of it's going along the same lines. So getting all worked up about it, not very productive. How about this one? Something they may have done as a younger person. Maybe something they confessed to you. Maybe something you helped them work through. They've moved past it, you can't. 
You're stuck in the knowledge of something that has nothing to do with you, and therefore you've put them in a box that they can't get out of because they don't even know they're in it. No matter what the reason, this can become the lens that you view people through, and it's not right. It's not right. We should recognize fruit. We should recognize skill. We should recognize wisdom. We should recognize ability. And then as the older generation, we are to train the younger generation to use it. And sometimes that means you got to get out of the way. Here we see Jesus making the point that those in his own hometown missed the opportunity to learn from and experience the power of God through the Son of God himself because of their own limited mindset. Jesus wasn't limited. They were limited in what they would receive from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can we respect those whom God is bringing up? And are we willing to empower them to do things? I struggle with this because I'm a doer. I love to build things. I love to get involved with things. I love to plan things. I love to design stuff. But here's the reality. There are people that are way better at this stuff than I am. And it's obvious that God has gifted people in these areas. And I need to intentionally get out of the way and empower them to do what God has, in, has, has gifted them to do. There are so many things in, this, in, in the world and in the church that we would love to do, but we got to ask ourselves, are we the ones that should be doing it right now? Maybe that answer is yes, but maybe that answer is no, and it's time to step aside. But you don't just abandon your position. You train the next generation, you empower them, and you release them into it. It's important to do this. Otherwise, people have to make the same mistakes that you did. Well, I stumbled through it. They should have to stumble through it. No. Imagine that, imagine that, that mindset, teaching your kid how to drive. Well, I crashed into a tractor trailer. They should have to crash into a tractor trailer. I rolled, I rolled a, tr- uh, 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 a chopper out in the field. They should have to roll a chopper out in the field. What an idiotic viewpoint. No one wants to do that. I mean, maybe it's fun. I don't know. But we should be helping the next generation move past where we are. And sometimes we can't do that if we refuse to give up our spot. You understand what I mean? Sometimes we've got to recognize the skill level in other people. I'm very fortunate uh, here, at the, here at the church. We've got an unbelievable staff. Just an unbelievable staff. It's so fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, Connie and Pat do some amazing work when it comes to the food. I'm a trained professional chef. You know how much cooking I do here? None. And it kills me sometimes because I want to. Every time we have a picnic and someone's like, I'll grill, I'm like, ah! I want grill. So I find opportunities to do it, like at budget meetings. None of the guys complain at all. We've got Abel as the assistant pastor. 
I'm continually trying to make room for him to expand his gifts. There are 52 opportunities for me to preach throughout the year. I have to intentionally back off from that so that I can empower people who are coming up in this. And not just Abel. We got Leah, we got Dan, we got Jay, we got Jill. There's others on the way. I've got to make room for them so that they can grow in the giftings that they have. If it's just, no, this is for me. I'm the preacher. That was intimidating, wasn't it? Most of you are like, oh, that was so cute, he stomped his foot. <laughs> Never seen an angry yard gnome before. So grumpy. It's grumpy smurf up there. That's what that is. No, I'm not going to paint myself blue and dress in white, just, just, just to point that out. Maybe. We'll talk about it. You know? Abel does a, does, does a great job with the stuff that he's, he's assigned, but I've got to give him room to do it. We've got Ashley in the office. She's a much better designer than I am. It irritates me sometimes. I'm, I'll have this idea, and she'll go, have you thought about this? I'm like, eh, I don't want to look at that, because it's going to be better than what I thought about. Why? Because God has gifted her with that. So as the lead pastor here at the church, what do I do? Do I stomp my feet? Assert my authority. You know, you, you can do it, but I get credit. That, see, that's, that, that's not how it works. You have to find the leaders of the next generation and empower them to lead. I can't do that if it's always going to be about a very small group of people. God has gifted the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip the body for the work of the ministry. That means I can't just look at the tree. I have to cultivate the fruit in their lives. Sometimes that means I got to get out of the way and let them do what they're good at. Because that's what God has empowered them to do. All right, last verse. Matthew 13, verse 58 reads like this. Now he did not do many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. This one verse has been used more often than I can count as a billy club to legitimize what I will only refer to as an unfortunate error in a lot of charismatic churches. And it usually shows up, shows its face like this. If you've been praying for a healing and provision and have not received it, then you lack faith. See, there it is. Their faith was so bad, even Jesus couldn't do anything. Hmm. If this is real, if this is real, then real faith will always unlock the power of God in your life. Always. If that's what it's based off of, then it will always unlock the power of God in your life. So if you have real faith, the power of God is in your life. You need a healing and you haven't gotten it, you don't have enough faith. You need provision and you haven't gotten it, you don't have enough faith. That's what that means. If that's not real, then the people who hold that view, as I've stated here, quoted by people you shouldn't listen to, 
The underlying lie with that assumption, and it is a lie, is that the key that unlocks the power of God is you. Think about that for a second. The key that unlocks the power of God is you. More to the point, I've heard it said this way, that the unbelief of this town was so bad, Jesus was physically incapable of doing a miracle. Anyone other than me heard that before? Their faith was so bad that Jesus was physically incapable of performing a miracle. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Does that make any sense to you at all? It's silly to even think about it, but we push it and push it and push it. The mistake that I think people make in this verse is not paying attention to what is said in the verses above. It does not say he did no mighty works. It said he didn't do many. And that's important to understand. The people in the town made a judgment against the person of God, against the man Jesus, that he was not willing to receive from. Did you, you seen that in the, in the first couple of verses? He was not, he was not, they were not willing to receive from him even after they already witnessed his power and heard his wisdom. They were still unwilling to receive from him. And then we come to this verse. Now all of a sudden, you have the ability to shut off the power of God. That does not make sense when you read. It's, it's just they're not disconnected concepts. I want to explain it I, I, I tried to think of a couple of stories that I could, I could come up with that might illustrate this, and I'm going to explain it this way. Actually, I need a bottle of water here. There we go. So, most of you know I spent a lot of years working in restaurants. I didn't spend a ton of time cooking. The bulk of my career actually was in management, people development, systems management, things like that. I'm still a, a trained chef, and I still put me in a kitchen. I can analyze that kitchen pretty quickly, and I still love to do it, but that wasn't where my career took me. My mind was more geared around systems. And so I got a job at a, a restaurant that will remain nameless because it's still, in, uh, still in, uh, in business today, and the name of the restaurant doesn't matter. So I got this job, and I thought, this is going to be really neat. This is a nice high-end place. I actually thought it would be really fun to work there. Um, I thought it could be good for my career. I mean, it had a good, good reputation, just, just amazing food. And I sat down with the owner, and the owner's like, you know, look, I, I really want you to come here. You come highly recommended, but I need you to understand some, some things. I need some help putting the kitchen together. There's just, it's, just, it's slow. Uh, we need to turn tables over a little faster. This would be great. But I need you to know that I've tried to bring in professionals before, people who are trained, and they just don't last. And I thought, wimps. That's because they weren't me. I got this. Uh, until I started working. Um, I got there completely excited. This was going uh, to be a great thing. I lasted 10 days. 10 days. I was not dismissed. They didn't let me go. I left because I knew I had to. I got there on day one. Now, if you've ever worked in a restaurant on a cook's line, communication is key. Bad communication in a restaurant is just, it's death. 
you will fall apart. Communication is everything. And in every cook's line, there's always one, in every kitchen, there's always one voice that everyone has to listen to. All the other cooks know that if you're talking, keep it down, shut your mouth, and listen for directions. Because that is how you, that's how you become successful. One person is conducting the orchestra, so to speak. Could you imagine an orchestra where everyone just played their instruments randomly? Didn't care about the key or the tempo, nothing? It's chaos. So you have one voice who is making things work. And if that person knows what they're doing, it's, it's beautiful. It's artwork. It's just awesome. So I get there. Day one, it was like, you're going to work over here. Uh, okay. Not a, I was going to do eggs and hash browns and stuff. It was no big deal. So we're moving along. And what I didn't know was that no one spoke in that kitchen. You didn't talk. The servers would take the order, handwritten ticket, dear God, learn to write legibly, right? People who are going into the medical profession should never be servers, but a lot of them look like doctors. They would write their order, they'd come into the kitchen and hang it. it now, you got this little strip and the tickets would get hung up on it. Normally, there's a logical order. We start here, we work this way. Oh, no. No, no, no. Whatever space was available, you just put the ticket up. It was fantastic. And they didn't bother telling you that there was a ticket in. You know, something simple like, order in. You're about to need to cook some Nothing. It was up to each individual cook and each individual station to figure out if that ticket was new or old, if you've made it, made the food yet or not. And then at some point in time, the servers would just sort of like look at the table where all the food was and figure out if that was part of their order, because that's always a great way to do it. And they would put their orders together and take it out. I suddenly realized why it took so long for food to get out of the kitchen. This was not rocket science. And I thought, I don't know anyone who would work like this. So I talked to the head cook. Once. She basically bit my head off when I mentioned, hey, would it be okay if we added a person to the line who could organize the tickets call out orders and get us in a, in a process, it basically came back this way. Well, I'm sorry if they didn't teach you how to work by yourself in culinary school, but that's not my fault. Get better at your job. I learned very quickly why professionals didn't last in that situation. It's not because they didn't have the skill. It's because they knew, please pay attention, the skill that they brought, the people that were there were unwilling to receive it. It had nothing to do with their individual skill level or ability. The people in that, now this lady, she was very good at what she did. She learned to be very quick and very accurate using very bad methods. She was self-taught. It's just one of the things that happen. Anyone who knows anything about training knows that if you're taught formally, you learn the, it, not, just, not just the method that everyone else knows, but you learn a process that actually works better. That's the point of formalized education. She learned to get very good at a backward system. 
Now, if you try to change that system, the person who's been running this place has to learn everything over again, and they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. So me, being much younger than her, coming in with my pedigree, we could have easily fixed this, but they would not receive what I brought to the table. Do you understand what I'm saying? This passage does not mean that your lack of faith or great faith either either engages or disengages the power of God in your life. It's whether or not you are willing to receive what Jesus is bringing. The people in the town were not willing to receive what Jesus had for them, even though they saw it. They heard his wisdom. They saw the miracles. It says he did some mighty works there. They saw and they refused to receive from that kid who they would never allow to move past Joseph's son. They kept him in a box, and in doing so, they kept themselves in the power of God. So Jesus could do no mighty works there, could only do a few. It had nothing to do with the power of God. It had everything to do with the limiting that we place on ourselves. Are we willing to receive whatever God has? Whether it's a yes or no, whether it's plenty or little. Are we willing to receive whatever God has for you? If you're willing to receive whatever God has for you, whether it's a lot or a little, whether it's a yes to your prayer or a no to your prayer, or hold on and wait because not right now to your prayer, if you're willing to receive whatever God has for you, then whatever God brings to you will always be enough. You'll never have to doubt what God is bringing to you, no matter what tree it comes from. If you're willing to receive whatever God brings to you, it can come to you from a four-year-old. And you don't care because that four-year-old just made a powerful point. I remember my dad was an engineer in Germany for the, for the United States military, and one of our trucks, one of his trucks, got stuck under a bridge. It wasn't pretty, but it was funny. And they're there for hours trying to work this thing out. And my dad came home, and he was talking about, talking about the issue. I was like, you know, did the, the truck ever get unstuck? He goes, yeah, yeah, it got unstuck, but uh, not, um, not because of anything we did. I was like, okay, would the bridge fall over? You just drove off? I mean, what happened? He goes, no, no, we were there. Everyone's looking at it. We're trying to figure out what kind of vehicle we can get to pull this thing out of there. And some little kid comes up, just taps the project foreman on the Side of, his way, side of his hip, and he says, why don't you just let the air out of tires? So they, you know, they threw the kid in the river. Uh, that's what you get for speaking to your elders. Um, <laughs> shouldn't matter where it comes from. Jesus was not a, not a person they were willing to learn from or submit to. Sometimes the reason the hand of God is not visible in our lives is not because he is incapable or even unwilling. It's because we are unwilling to receive what he has for us. We come to God with a very specific goal in mind, and if he doesn't meet that goal, we are now disappointed. Not how it works. You should receive what he has for you, regardless of what it is or where it comes from. I think that more often than not, the devil is not the one standing in your way. I think more often than not, the devil's off in the, off in, on the, in the corner going, I didn't do anything. 
we are our own worst enemy because we want very, very specific things from God. And God just wants, to, wants us to trust him with whatever he brings. Whether it comes from you, the people older than you, or the people younger, from you, younger than you, are we willing to receive whatever God has, no matter what tree it falls off of? This is a challenge I think we need to, we need to step up to. As those of, those of you who are in the slightly older generation, I'm moving that way myself. I hate that idea. you got to figure out what it is you're here to do. And it might be handing things off to the next generation and empowering them to be awesome, even more awesome than you were. Maybe it's time to step up into that role that you've been fighting. But maybe you haven't stepped stepped up into it because the people around you keep reminding you who you are and where you come from. We need to be better than that. The world needs us to be better than that. The church needs us to be better than that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are continually moving us into new new destinations. Father, help us to not be generationally blind. Help us to recognize the authority and wisdom of those ahead of us. Help those who are ahead recognize the wisdom and skill in those who are coming up and help those in the middle to recognize the potential and the skill in those who are even younger. And let us not be momentary in our thinking. Let us think much farther ahead. Let us know when it's time for us to hit the gas and do as much as we can and let us know when it's time to step aside and be the fuel for somebody else. Father, help us not get, help us not limit ourselves by judging the tree, but help us expand your influence in our lives and in our minds by focusing in on the fruit and trusting that you will guide us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.